again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Is God good? When life is smooth, it's easy to say yes. When tragedy happens, maybe he's not so good. But before we head either direction, let's follow the truth and see where it leads. Lead teacher Randy Pope continues the series A Glorious Grace, Foundations of Grace, with the first part of a message entitled The God of Grace. For more information and to watch or hear other messages, please visit our website at Perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Now let's pray, and now let's ask God to meet us as we get into the teaching of His Word, okay? Father, now we would ask you that you would be our teacher, that you would first open our minds, that we might embrace and see truth and hold on to that which we find in your word. But Father, it would resonate much deeper to the heart, that we would find our heart yielding, surrender to you, uh, that we would find you for who you are, seeing us for who we are, and seeing that grand difference, trust in you more and more and more important subject matter as you know our God and we are trying to be as faithful to your word as possible I just pray you would grant it to be beneficial now to all and we ask it in Jesus name amen you know from the moment a, a little child forms the ability to ask questions and at the same time has heard that there is God they began asking questions and we know that the questions are, are fairly basic questions like, where did he come from? What does he look like? What's he doing now? Just all kind of questions. Very few of which we know how to answer, but they're very basic questions, right? Then the children grow up a little bit older and, and the questions become a little bit more sophisticated. Now they're questions like this. Can God make a rock so large he cannot pick up? That's serious. Have y'all heard that question? Most have, haven't you? Certainly have. Now, I want to ask you to raise your hand on this one. How many know how to answer that question? I want to just prep you parents and parents-to-be that there is an answer to that question, and it's one or the other. Do you know what it is? No, he cannot make a rock so big that he cannot pick up. Now, this will be a good little teaching aid to where we're going in this series, really, in everything we teach from God's Word. Presuppositions mean everything. You see, there are many of us that have a presupposition that is in error, and therefore it leads us to confusion how to answer the question. The presupposition is that there's nothing that God can't do. No, there there are a lot of things that God can't do. For instance, God cannot sin. He can't sin at all. He can't deny his character. Uh, Take whatever you want to to describe of who God is, if it's truly one of his attributes, he cannot deny his attribute. That's who he is. He is omnipotent, meaning all-powerful. Oh, there's nothing he can't pick up. He will not deny himself. So, but the questions again, they just get a little bit more sophisticated. Now, we come here, many, most of us adults, and we have our now adult questions about God. We're now into the major leagues. Now we're asking questions like this. They're why questions. Why 
would God let sin ever come into this world knowing what it was going to do? The pain, the heartache, the loss of eternity. Why would he do that? Why would God, why would he let a little child who has made no big decisions of life whatsoever, a little child to suffer, maybe from infancy, until they die just a year later? Why would he do that? Better yet, why would God, why in the world would he, why would he even allow these parents that, that are wicked people, they're abusive to their children, they ruin a, a life of a little one that never had a chance, while there are some of the most amazing, wonderful, godly young couples that would long more than anything to have a child. But God doesn't give the child to them, but he lets these people have a child? Why does, why does that happen? Well, I will assure you this. Just take this one to the bank. For sure, your view of God will shape your answers to those questions or your answers to those questions will shape your view of God. That's what you've got to decide. Which is it going to be? And we should all agree with this. Again, it is, it is a given. And that is that the answers to those questions that we end up with, they are going to be that which will make or break us during life's worst challenges. If we've got those fairly well put together, according to the truth of God, I'm going to suggest this. It'll be okay. Won't be fun, won't be nice, but you'll be okay. Carol and I have numerous friends, many of which are in this church, long-time friends. Some of them are going through the worst life experiences you can imagine. We're talking about facing the cancers that will bring death or, or perhaps will not, but certainly, who knows, it doesn't look good. People that are going through all kinds of other situations other than cancers that are so debilitating, they're so horrible. And we've watched. And I'm going to end the message coming back to that point. But I'm telling you this, I will say, you can tell their answers to these questions are shaping the way they respond to their crisis. You're going to have crisis. I'm going to have crisis. We've had crisis. We've got to figure out the answers to these questions. So in our series, which is on grace, it's called A Glorious Grace. It's a team series. In this series that we're doing, we introduced it with the subject matter of the experience of grace. Uh, that was a two-part message, as this one will be a two-part message. A and I'm telling you, if, uh, if you miss all the others, get the first one. The first two messages lay the foundation for understanding grace. We're building on it. So if you're part of the series, I hope you will do that. Now, in this particular message, we're going to now turn our attention to the God of grace, the God of grace. And we're going to spend our two weeks looking at four questions, two questions this week, and then two questions in part two. I want to say this, that the first two questions are kind of the surface questions. In fact, the first question is just to get some basic data under our belt about grace. Then we're going to take a first dive, and the dive is going to take us fairly shallow, 
it, it's going to be asking a, a good question, but it's not the, the piercing question. The piercing question comes the next week, and I'll introduce that at the end. But in light of that, I'd like for you to look at the first of four questions, and here it is. We'll put it on the screen. It's in your handout. What does it mean that God is a God of grace? So what is that? I think we've already made it clear in the series that grace is, is getting something you don't deserve. When we talk about God's grace, we're talking about getting from God something that we don't deserve at all. It's been looked at as a, a, a kind of an acronym or a, a, an acrostic, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. Good way to look at it. But I think we've understood that now early in the series, that what grace is. It is because God is a God of grace that we use the term gracious God. And so we ask ourselves the question, to what degree do we see God as a gracious God? Well, if we want to understand His grace, we've got to understand that for Him to be a God of grace means that He distributes what I'm going to call and what, what theology through the ages is called two kinds of grace. The first is common grace that he shows to everybody. Common grace. It's just what it sounds like. Let me give you a definition of it. The definition, the favor or goodness of God shown to all mankind regardless of his relationship to God. So it's not if you're, if you're a good Christian, you get a lot of common grace. If you're not, you don't, not at all. In fact, look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, and it says, for he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So now Carol and I, we love the Lord and we're trying to follow him. We're seeking to serve him. We're, we're failing a lot, but we're, that's our intention. I know we have some neighbors close to us, around us, that would not agree with our view about Jesus, following God, and maybe some that are doing things that would be considered very bad things, wicked things. I don't know. But I would just assume of the neighbors in our general area there would be. But you know what? Even in spite of that, I've noticed that every time it rains on our grass, they're getting it too. And I go, why would they get it? I mean, I'm the Christian. Well, it's because the grace of rain is common. It's common to all people. It has no basis on whether you're spiritual or you're not spiritual. In fact, do you know that it's confusing to even the author of the Psalms in Psalm 37 and 73? If you ever want to remember them, just flip the numbers around. They're the Psalms where the psalmist is questioning and saying, why is it, God, why these wicked people, their bones are fat, they're, 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 they got all they need and all they want, and they're just prospering and getting and this and doing this and doing that. And, and then look at these Christians, these followers, not Christians, but they're at that point, they weren't called Christians, but the, the followers of, of God. And look what's happening to them. Look what's happening to us. Why would it be? And then he says, until I walked in to the presence of God and I saw the bigger reason." So just keep in mind, common grace, it's those things such as someone's ability to see or to live life, whatever. I was in this morning in my devotional time, I was in Job and I was reading out of chapter 34. 
And it's just exactly what I was, knew I'd be talking to you about today. I didn't know it when I came across the text. Here's what it says. Who gave God authority over the earth? Who put him in charge of the whole world? If he set his heart on it and withdrew his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish together and man would return to dust. So if you took this thing called common grace and just took it away, we're gone. Just like that. We're through. Without common grace, we don't see. Without common grace, we don't love. Without common grace, we don't get little children. Without common grace, we don't. That's common grace. And so that's going to lay one little layer foundation to what we're trying to understand. You have to understand the distinction between common grace and the second type of grace that I'm about to introduce. I do want you to know this about common grace. Common grace is given to mankind because God is who he is. He's a God of grace. But there is an intention that common grace would be used well. Common grace, if used well, will draw a heart to repentance as we read in the book of Romans chapter 2. Let me show you verse 4. It goes like this. Do you, or do you think lightly of the riches and kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Now, God uses means by which he draws people to himself, whether for the first time or over a period of time after becoming a Christian. And he uses different means. I heard it years and years ago, and I love the, the reality. He said, well, God uses different means. He uses, he uses Christians, right? He uses crisis, and he uses kindness. My prayer through the years has been, God, just my request, you know what's best. I want to I see your kindness lead me to repentance. Let that be the, that's the sweet hand of you. I, I'll take that. Christians are good, and crisis I don't like. But that would be the ideal of ideals. People misinterpret this kindness. Numbers of times, I've shared this with this church in the past. I've had times with people that I'm asking them about their life and they want to talk about their, about spiritual stuff or whatever. And we're talking and they give me a picture that's not too pretty in terms of, of a life with God, at least from my interpreting what they say. And then I say, so how do you see your relationship with God? And they say, ah, we're pretty thick. I think we're doing pretty good. I say, good. What's the basis of that? Well, let me tell you, this gives you the best story. I was in this horrible automobile wreck, and I carry a picture with me most times. I mean, if you look at the, at the wreck, and I've actually been shown pictures. If you were to see this picture, you'd go, hey, you couldn't live through it. The, the police who came to the scene, they said, you can't live through this kind of wreck. And I was unscathed. I wasn't even bruised. I mean, I wasn't hurt at all. Obviously, God and I are pretty good. Must, he must really care for me. And I'm sitting there not able to say it at the point, but thinking, oh, friend, I don't know if you're getting this, but that's designed. It's designed to lead to repentance. So that's the common grace. But let's look at the second type of grace, which is a grace called special grace that his true followers get. You see, this common grace, though it is well used to draw our hearts to repentance, 
But for most people, as you will find in Isaiah 26, I won't read the text, I have in the other services, but it's the story of the people that, that actually had the kindness of God and they just push it away. And that's what we do. And God knows that's the heart of sinful man. So early, early, early on, when Moses is there, he gives the law. And we've gone through a series here called the lovable law. What does the law do? The law puts a spotlight on our hearts. We see our sin. And then it goes even further. It becomes a tutor to lead us to Jesus. And so now when we meet Jesus and we come to know him, it's because of special grace. Let me, let me do this. Let me give you a, a, uh, uh, just a definition of what special grace is. Special grace would be the special favor of eternal life specifically applied only to those who put their faith in him. Now what we're about to see as we move into question number two, we're going to begin to build the understanding that, wow, wait, wait, wait. This gracious God, he shows grace to believers, his children, he shows grace even through tragedies. Tragedies for the Christian are an expression of God's grace. It doesn't give you the why or understanding, but I'm going to tell you, biblically speaking, that's something that is truth. If you study the scripture with an open mind, I think you probably come to that conclusion. Maybe not. I mean, a lot of people don't. And by the way, I'm going to keep saying it all my ministry. If godly Christians disagree on something, don't be so dogmatic. Anybody can be wrong. I will say this. We have the history of the church on the side of this teaching. Now, the modern church, no. But church historical, absolutely so. Now, let's look at question number two. Now, we begin to take a little bit of a deeper dive. Can a God of grace allow bad things to happen? When we get to part two and we move into question three, we'll answer the question, if so, why? But now just the, just the question of, is it even possible, if he is a God of grace, can he allow bad things to happen? I'd like to take it a step further and use a different word than allow because I want to be as close to Scripture as possible. I would say the question, can a grace of God decree bad things to happen? And when I use the word decree, it means to order, to decide, or to appoint. Does our God, does he decide that bad things would happen to people? Now, I think you probably know where I am going to go with this. I'm going to say yes to this question. Only because I see the scripture saying it. Did I always believe this? No. Did I fight against it? Oh, did I fight against it. But I'll tell you, as I see scripture, and I think you'll be honest as you look at scripture, certainly church history has to say, yeah, yeah, you know, you really can't get around it. I have pages of verses that I'm going to read you just four right now. Tell me what you think God's word says. I don't have it for the screen, but just listen. Out of the book of Amos, if a trumpet is blown in a city, will not the people tremble? Listen to this. If a calamity occurs in a city, has not the Lord done it? How about out of 1 Samuel? The Lord kills and the Lord makes alive. 
The Lord brings down to shale, and he raises up. The Lord makes poor, and the Lord makes rich. The Lord brings low, and the Lord also exalts. From Lamentations, is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both good and ill go forth? Out of Isaiah, the one God forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being and creating calamity. That's why I'd rather move away from just the word allow to decree. Ian saying, I am the Lord who does both and all of these. Wow. Now, if we just want to argue what does the Bible say, I think you'd have to come to the conclusion of where we're headed here. But you know what? I, I think you probably have been to funerals before where the uh, attending pastor or whoever makes some kind of statement like, well, this tragic car accident, God had nothing to do with it. I hope you wouldn't think of God. He would never do something like that. Oh, that's the devil who did it. It couldn't be God. God had no part in it, whatever, so forth. I think so often God in the heavens must be screaming out when uh, those of us that serve the Lord are trying to defend God so that they'll like God and say, don't think wrongly of God. He's a good God and therefore he didn't have anything to do with it. And God is screaming in the heavens saying, no, I did that. It was part of my plan. And I am a God of grace. But we listen to that and we go, oh, I don't know. It just doesn't seem to fit together. Last week, I made the I made the point, I tried to make the point, that we've got a broken church globally. I mean, we know that the love level of church today is very low. People break God's Ten Commandments routinely without thought, and they'll say, I'm the love the Lord with all my heart. But yes, I do break the commandment. That's not a big deal. We got Christians that just run and run about and do everything and live like the rest of the world say, I love God, I love God. We know that. Why is it so hard to love God? In part, I think it has to do what we said last week. As the Word of God says, forgiven much, love much. Forgiven little, love little. If we think that we're pretty good people, then there's not going to be a big forgiveness. Therefore, there's not going to be a lot of love. So you really got to trace it back to presuppositions and their presuppositions about who we are and presuppositions about who God is. So it raises this question, are people good? How, what is the condition of mankind? If you've been around this church very long, we without apology, though I know it's not a, a, an attractive teaching, we follow the teaching historically that's been taught of the Bible and that is that man is really depraved. You know what that means? We're not as bad as we could be in certain areas. But there's no part of us that's not riddled with sin. It's just a part of who we are. And therefore, as we, as we start thinking about this question, well, what do we think about ourselves? Are we good or are we not? I'd like to kind of end our time just comparing two rabbis that have totally different positions on this issue about the condition of man and how you relate that to a God if bad things are happening to people. The first rabbi, you probably already know who I'm talking about. It's, it's Rabbi Kushner. He's written the very, very famous book, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. He's an open theist, as, as he would call himself. 
And his particular position is summarized in these words. It wouldn't be in quotes, but it would, because he didn't, this aren't his words, this is a summary of his teaching. But because man is good, and God is good, and because bad things happen to good people, God is not involved in bad things. Not only does he not allow them, but he is not able to stop them from happening. That would be the logic that he would use. To put it really simply, maybe this will be a way you can, uh, uh, that are more, you know, minds are kind of logical. Here's a good way of thinking it. If God and man are both good, then the only conclusion that we can reach is that God is not in control of all things. So, you know, if, if you think God is good and you think that you're pretty good, and then the bad crisis of life happens. You've got to say, whew, God, you didn't have anything to do with this. makes me feel good about you. But I have no hope now. Because you're not in control of everything. What, if you're not in control of that, what else? Are you in control of healing? Are you in control? What, what else? I don't know. You're just not in control of everything? Or the second option is simply to say, if God is in control and man is good, then God just must not be gracious. And let me tell you, probably some of us or people that we know are living life right now with that little bitter thing and say, oh God, I, just, I can't trust him and I know he's not, he's not a gracious God. If God let me do that, if God allowed this to happen, if he did that, then he not, and there it goes. I'm a Christian, but I don't know what saying. No. Third option. If we believe that God is good and God is in control, then there's only one response that's going to start to make sense of it all. It's not the whole answer, but it's that God, that man is not good. So people today certainly don't buy that. It's not the general belief, I know. So I want to show you just a, a little couple minute video. And it's something we did. It was for our investigative forum. We actually just walked you know, through the streets and asked people with their permission to put this up. Can, can we just, uh, can we ask you some questions about being good. Now, I want to say this for any that are, are watching uh, in terms of our podcast. Uh, it has some music background that we don't have rights to be able to put out over the podcast. And so there'll be a, a brief you know, pause here and then you come right in and you'll miss this. But, uh, but for you that are here, I want you to see this. So give your attention to the screens. All right, so the second rabbi, you know who that is. It's Rabbi Jesus. Now, Jesus comes along and a totally different message. Here's the summary of his message. Because man is not good and God is good, bad things happen to people not merely because they deserve them, but better yet, because his followers, as well as his future followers, need those bad things. Now, that's what we're going to be diving into in the part two of the message. But just to know this, your presupposition about yourself it's going to shape your answer to these questions. The answer to the question is going to shape your view of life. You just need to realize that's the way it works. So here comes the two greatest spokesmen for God in his word, Old Testament, the psalmist David, King David, the apostle Paul, the great author of New Testament, so much of it under God's authority. And Paul comes along 
And he quotes. He quotes David and what David says about mankind. And this is, this is what it says. And look at Romans chapter 3. It, it says that there are none good, no, not one. There are none who seek God, no, not one. There's none good, no, not one. Wow. Jesus comes along. He's just going along, and we know him as the rich young ruler. Comes alongside and says, a good teacher, uh, tell me. And he begins to ask a question about eternal life, and Jesus stops him in the track and says, whoa, 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 why do you call me good? Why would you call me good? Do, do you not know that there is none good except one alone, being God? He's not saying he's not God. He's saying, you don't believe I'm God. Why would you call me good? Because only God is good. And, and so there's no doubt in terms of what Jesus thought about how many people are good. He says there's just one. Uh, you know, the psalmist says it. Paul says it. It's just all across the board. It's saying, yeah, there are none good. There just aren't any good. Somebody asked me the question. They said, well, wait, are you, not, are, are you telling me that there's... There, there aren't some people better than other people? And I say, well, think of it this way. And some of you heard me use the story of my past. My grandfather started a funeral home before I was born. And so I'm born into a family that, whose grandparents owns a funeral home. It's not very far from our house, 60 miles, so we visited quite often. My brother and I, we thought, what a cool thing. My dad owns a funeral home. We got the biggest playground you could ever play in. It's called a funeral home. We stayed in the funeral home the whole time we visited. We loved it. Man, hide and seek. Oh, gosh, you've got, you got the casket room. You've got the vault room. You've got the embalming room. you got, I mean, we saw dead people all the time. Hey, another dead person. Let's keep going. No thought. But you know what? They bring people into that funeral home who were young people who just died, maybe of a heart attack. And I'll tell you the truth, I couldn't tell whether they were asleep or dead. I didn't, I, they looked the same to me. They looked pretty good. But then from time to time, they bring somebody in from the, from the wooded areas, for, been found dead from two months ago. And that person, oh, the stench, the sight, yeah. And then you ask the question, which is most dead? So you find through Scripture, God keeps telling us in Scripture over and over that we're dead in our trespasses and sins. You've got to be made alive in Christ. It's to keep underscoring this reality that none of us have any goodness because we're dead. And therefore, it's got to be God that initiates everything. And when I heard that the first time, I was, no, 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 no. I'm not going to believe it. I can remember actually crying, and I didn't cry much at all. But I said, I don't like a God that would have, if that's true, I want to believe that I did what takes, that I initiated everything that he didn't initiate. And then I began to study, and I came in touch with a man that was a PhD, 30, 40 years, my senior. And oh my, he wore me out because I believed in the Bible, and he showed me in the Bible everything but what I believed. And I can remember when finally my knees buckled, and I said, God, I admit it, I'm not good, and you alone have to give me my salvation. And I'm telling you what, it changed my view of God. It's like the people that are going to our TFL, Theological Foundation for Leaders, they're saying, oh, I met God in a new way. Why? Because all of a sudden you saw how big he was and how small we are. And we go, oh, wow. You heard the wow. That's where we were last week. That's what causes people to say wow about God. It's what causes people to love God. 
so much. I mean, bottom line, you know, make a choice. Good me, small God, not much love. Bad me, big God. Wow, a lot of love. That's where love comes from. Folks, you can't just go to the willpower and say, I'll rev up more love. I'll just get more love. No, see him bigger. I'm going to keep saying this over and over. Don't go to the willpower. Go to his power. Go to his presence. See what he's done. See his love. This next week, we're going to take a break because of camp week. We're going to continue in the series, but we have a lot of our campers here. And we're going to kind of shift the subject matter in the series. It's, we're going to address the question, grace for grumblers. And it's going to be a perfect segue between my number one point and number two point. But we're going to have a different audience. We're going to kind of not do it as a the series so much where they feel not part of it. But, but for us, it will be. And then this next week after that, why would a gracious God decree bad things? And that's where we get into the stuff that we've got to understand. With that, I'm going to just invite you to the cross and see the love of God. If you're not a Christian, see him for who he is. See his great love. Maybe God's used this to kind of wear down the resistance that we're better than we think we are. Or that we're better than we are. And you'd like to just bow the knee. Great time to do it even now. Some of us, we've been pushing aside the common grace of God and not allowing it to lead us to repentance. Maybe it'd be a time to say, God, I am so, so sorry. But I want us to do something that I've done the last few weeks and I have us sing a hymn that's going to address the very subject matter, particularly where we're going, partly where we are, but where we're going. And that is how firm a foundation. I was singing it this week as a part of my personal worship. And I read the words, the last three verses, oh my goodness, well, two great verses, but the three applied so directly to what we're talking about here. I went to our worship folks and I said, could we, could we sing this song? Let's make it kind of a part of the message. And so I'm not going to close in prayer yet. I'm just going to say stand and then I'll close in prayer afterwards. But I want us to sing and let's bring our, our worship team out and help us as we do this.
to make a comment, and then I'll pray, and, and then we'll close out the service. I mentioned that we have a lot of friends in the church, some very, very dear, dear friends, long-time friends. They're walking through cancers and other things. You have the same, and many of your friends, or maybe you're walking through right now. And I know that uh, this last week or so passed, a couple of weeks ago, we found out that one of our, our dear friends has a very serious, very serious cancer. And um, so I, I called and got the husband, and it's the, it's the wife who has the cancer. And I, uh, and I talked to him, and I said, how are you doing? I can't quote word for word. But when I asked him, he said, you know, we're okay. And he said this, he said, you know what, we, we've been taught, you know, this church has is, is, is well prepared us, and it's amazing, we're, we're really good, because God's in control. We had dinner with them after that, and after we had had dinner and talked to them, it was amazing. And we heard, uh, honestly, it's as she said to us, hey, you know what? It's amazing. I know this is bad stuff, but I'm good. I can't, you know, all I can say is God. It's his grace. God, it's his grace. Their view of God has shaped the answer to the questions. And now tragedy strikes and they say, hey, not what I would ever choose. I don't look forward to what's happening. But let me tell you, we're good. I told Carol afterwards. I said, you know, Carol, I... I, I after just hanging up from the phone call. And I said, uh, I, I said, you know, this is, what, this is what he told me. The church, it's just, in Carol's response, she said, Randy, how many times have we heard that? Over and over and over. I hope you'll buy in to big God. And I hope you'll buy into a God of grace. And deal with these questions. Let's fight through them. Wrestle. As my man, that was, the man that was so impacting me, he said, let me tell you, my friend. He said, you never learn good theology. You earn good theology. You live through life fighting, understanding, studying, praying. Then you come to a good theology. And a good theology mixed with a good God goes a long, long way. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we do pray now. Thank you for being a gracious God, even when we can't quite put it together and don't understand it, but you are, and for that we applaud you. And we just want to say louder and louder, wow, 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 until we find ourselves saying, okay, let's go. And Father, I pray you would work in many of us even now to that end. So we thank you for our worship of this day. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.